this is going to be a unique message. Um, this is Father's Day, but I'd like to start with um, a unique place. We've been dealing with the the Book of Ruth. Last week we started with Book of Book of Ruth, and we just really had a beautiful time together looking at her life. And uh, I really enjoy reading Old Testament. Um, stories and biographies because you can see the real life of people and what they're experiencing with God and the Old Testament is not filled with holy people that are perfect but they're just people that are sinners that were sinners like you and I but that discovered the great grace of God that discovered that God is for them and that God has a plan and um, when we're finished with Ruth I believe that'll be first or second week of July, we'll start with the life of David. And I want to do maybe 12 messages on the life of David. And we'll just start from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. And it will certainly be an amazing amount of, of um, just redemption when you look at his life. And so if you'll open to the book of Ruth with me, to chapter 2, and we'll just pray. Father, we Thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for this church, all the things that you're going to do here. And, Lord, we just want to plead and just beg of you to move through this area with your Holy Spirit and that you would touch people's lives with the glorious news of the gospel, the joy and the comfort that's in Christ. Lord, there are so many people that are now um, just not part of a church that are not going to church, and they are just overwhelmed with the details of their life and burdens of life. And we ask you, God, that these next few months, Lord, that your spirit would just move through this area and that we would see a revival, a Word of God revival in this little church, we pray. In Jesus' name, bless this message and this Father's Day. Amen. In chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, we see God's hands fall hard on Naomi and her family, don't we? We see a famine in Judah. Then we see the family move to Moab, which was outside of God's perfect will geographically. Then we see the death of Naomi's husband. We see the marriage of the two sons. Naomi's two sons to foreign wives, which were not Jewish, which was against the Jewish law to marry foreign wives. And then we see that the death of her, of her sons, one blow after another caused by, caused by the consequences of the decisions that they made. And, you know, we always want to make sure that the decisions that we make are really in God's will. And to really just ask God, like, God, is this your will? And to make that a practice in our life as a family, to say, Lord, is this your will? And all of this hardship caused Naomi to say in chapter 1, verses 13 and verse 20, the hand of the Lord hath done, has gone forth against me. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In fact, she was, in so, she was so oppressed by God's bitter providence in her life that she couldn't see any really hopes, any sign of hope. But little by little, as they continued, the 
light of hope began to crack through the cloudy heavens and they began to see the faithfulness of the mercy of God. Naomi, we know, means bitter. And she had a, she had a, um, a root of bitterness about the plan of God. And that, could so hap- that can happen so easily by experiences in our lives that we could become secretly bitter against the plan of God. And it affects our theology. It affects our, the way we look at God and the way we look at people. And we can actually become very cynical. How many know what that word cynical means? Cynical means basically that we don't see any purity in anything. Everything that we look at is just tainted and jaded with, with some ulterior motive. But at the end of the chapter, chapter 1, uh, Naomi says to the townspeople of Bethlehem, as they come back, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? In verse 21. And that's an example, and we said this last week, of a person taking on the self-image of their trial. Have you ever had a trial in your life, and then you take on the image of that trial? We do that so easily, don't we? We have a financial trial, a health trial, a family trial, uh, hardships. We have... um, uh, uh, you know, our car catches on fire in the parking lot, and uh, we just take on this image of the, what our troubles are. And people look at us, and they can only see the trouble in our life, because that's what we're reflecting. And there's no reflection of all the awesome things that were happening with Naomi. Naomi had a daughter-in-law who was helping her that decided that that she was going to stick with Naomi and then go back with her and help provide for her. And so, let's look at chapter 2, and I'm going to read this to you in the New King James Version, um, because I'm going to read the whole chapter, and it's easy reading, so just listen to the chapter as I read and try to imagine in your minds the story as it takes place, okay? There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. By the way, Boaz in the Hebrew, in the original language, means quick, strong, meaning that he had strength inside of him. Verse 2, so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And basically what she was doing was, was that after they were harvesting the, um, the crops in the fields, she as a Moabitess, which was not Jewish, she was not welcome in that community, uh, she was allowed, as Jewish law allowed, to let the poor could come in and just pick up the pieces that had been dropped and left behind. And they could take that home and eat that. And so she went into this one field, and in verse 3, when she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and after, and as she happened to come to the part of the field belonging, belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young, women, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the 
country of Moab. Verse 7, and she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should make notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz said, answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of, her husband, of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at the mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she had grows up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she might glean and, not, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up, and then, and then went into the city, and her, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she had brought out and gave to her what she had kept back, and she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name today, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of your close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He said also to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in the other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. That's an amazing story here. We just read the whole chapter. And doesn't it sound like God's providence through the hard times that Ruth had experienced with Naomi is now changing because they went back home to where God's people were. And I, I love how the end of chapter 1 ends. Remember? 
that Naomi returns. That's one of the greatest verses in this book. Naomi returns home. And she came back home, and we see God begin to open the doors. Isn't that beautiful? That when we return, God opens the doors for a whole new redemptive chapter in our lives. I want to look at this character, Boaz. Boaz here, we know later on in chapter 4, marries Ruth. We'll get to that later, but he marries Ruth because there was a law in Israel that if a relative of yours, her husband dies, then the nearest relative um, of the husband should take that wife that is now a widow and take her into the home so that there's no so that she's not left without provision and without a covering. And so Boaz is this is this relative of Ruth's husband. And in verse verses one through seven of chapter two, we see the character of Ruth, and we sense a very merciful providence behind this whole scene. Boaz, as we learn, is a relative of Elimelech, uh, Naomi's long-deceased husband. And then we immediately realize that things are not nearly as bleak as Naomi has suggested back in chapter 1. For example, Boaz is a man of great wealth. And you know, Boaz is a man of grace. When I read about his life, he's going to be a father. He's not a father yet, but he's going to be a father. And he's a man that really understands grace in his life. And he understands God's redemption. He understands God in the detail. One person put it this way, that Boaz was a God-saturated man. There's an example of this in verse 4. How did Boaz greet his servants? Now, these are servants. These are just common workers. They're just slaves. They're doing what they're supposed to do for the money that they're supposed to make. And how does he greet them? Does he greet them in any other way but by this way? He says, the Lord be with you. Isn't that amazing? And to me, that just speaks of Boaz understanding in the least details of Boaz's life. He understood the the presence of of God and the grace of God. Boaz was a man that just understood the grace of God. And, and how did his servants respond? The Lord bless you too. Isn't that beautiful? You know, a man of grace in the household and a man of grace that has responsibilities in his household and all that he does, when he lives in the grace of God, then it's going to bless and it's going to uh, anoint his relationships. People are going to love, in general, not always, but they're going to love a grace man. They're going to love a man like Boaz, because Boaz was making God the issue, and he understood the grace of God. And he under, we understand that he had a great relationship with God. He was a man that was so saturated with God that his farming business and his relationship to his employees was just shot through with God. This is amazing. Let's, take a, let's go back to Ruth for a moment before we, before we look more at Boaz. Two things that we see about Ruth, that God brings Ruth to Boaz. You know, 
a man who, we may be fathers, we may already have kids, um, and God may want to do more in our lives as a father. And not necessarily are we referring here to children, but I believe that the Lord wants to bless dads. I think fathers are just so uh, beat up these days because we have a society that really is run today because of the passivity of men that is really run by by other people than, than the household, the head of the household. God wants to bless dads and fathers. He wants to bless the work of their hands. He wants to bless their families. And we see here that when a man like Boaz is walking in the grace of God, he's not perfect, but he's a man that walks in grace, then God brings people to Boaz. When you and I walk in the grace of God, that God will bring people into our lives like Ruth. God will bring in a provision. We see two things about Ruth here. We see her humility. I love how she just takes the initiative here, chapter one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. She's with Naomi. They arrive to Bethlehem, Judah. They're there, and she's just not going to be hanging around in Naomi's house. She says, let me go to the fields and just collect whatever's left over. She, is, she has this sense of initiative without being presumptuous. In verse 7, the servants, the, the servants report to Boaz how she had approached them that morning and how she said, pray, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She does not demand a handout. She does not presume the right even to glean. All she wants to do is gather up the leftovers after the reapers are done and ask permission even to do that. She's like a, another foreign woman who came to Jesus who said, Lord, even the dogs, remember the Syrophoenician woman came to, the, to Jesus and said, even the dogs eat the table, eat the crumbs that come from the, the, the children's crumbs that come from the table. I think when Jesus saw this with the Syrophoenician woman way later in the New Testament, when the Syrophoenician woman, that woman that was not a Jew, comes to Jesus and said, and had a request of Jesus and Jesus refused her, it seemed initially. And the woman said, even the, do- even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. I think when Jesus heard that, I think it reminded Jesus of Ruth. How Ruth came to Boaz in his fields and gleaned and received um, and had, a, had ability to receive from God and to ask Another thing that we see about Ruth is her industry. I mean, her just her creativity. She's an amazing worker. Verse 7 says she has continued from early morning until now without resting even for a moment. It's amazing, isn't it? Verse 17 goes on to say that she gleaned until even the, then, even before she quit, she beat out what she gleaned, measured it, and took it home to Naomi. There's no doubt here that the writer of Ruth, which I believe could be Samuel, wants us to understand that... Ruth's humility and meekness does not put herself forward presumptuously, but she works hard from sun up to sundown. She has initiative, she has lowliness, she has creativity, and she's wor- she has worthy traits. And I think that we're going to see this later on in the book of Ruth. And so we see here God's merciful providence. God brings Naomi and Ruth to Boaz. And I just, want to, I just want to look here at Ruth's response to Boaz's favor. 
And this is such a picture of the grace of God in our lives. Look at this. Ruth in um, Ruth asked Boaz, verses 10 to 13. And we see this is probably one of the most important conversations in the chapter. She asks the question to Boaz, which really turns out to be very profound and simple. And this is something that we all probably would ask God the same kind of question. She felt, and we read this here in the verses, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to Boaz, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? Ruth knows that she's a Moabitess, and from the natural viewpoint, she has really two strikes against her. She's not Jewish, and um, she is not from that land or from that family. And the response that Boaz, is, that Boaz gives is just beautiful. He answers her and said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord recompense you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And listen to these words, Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, does that sound like grace or what? Ruth asks why she's being given grace. Boaz does not answer her question exactly. He answers it this way. He says, you are receiving grace and favor because you came not under my only wings, but to the Lord God of Israel, and under his wings you have found refuge. Isn't that beautiful? that the grace man like Boaz, and when, you know, as a dad or a husband or whoever we are in the family, when we allow grace to saturate our lives and grace to saturate the details of our life, you know, you know, whatever we're doing, you know, we're in there and, you know, Don was over here. Yeah, we came in here yesterday. Don was in the garden. It was just like from head to toe and dirt. And I just thought there's a grace man in the garden, you know, being saturated with the grace of God. I can say that about all of us here, being saturated with God's grace in our life. That every aspect of our life, we just look to the grace of God and say, how does God want to bless me today? And not have Naomi's theology, oh, I'm so bitter about what life has dealt with me. Well, life is life, and life happens, doesn't it? Uh, and, and uh, you know what the world says, the good die young and all that stuff. But that, the theology of grace is this, is that I see the grace of God in every aspect of my life. And I see God's hand in the aspect of every, of every part of my life. And what does Boaz say? The grace man, the grace man of God. And this is why Boaz was a man of God. Boaz says, basically, that grace has no conditions. He says, because you have loved Naomi so much that you were willing to leave father and mother and to come to a strange land and find refuge under the God of Israel. And that really is the answer to Ruth, that... When we leave our natural home, our natural way of thinking, our natural land, our upbringing, our genetic comfort zone, and we draw near into the presence of God, into a place that God has called us to that's outside of our our comfort zone, then what happens? We hide ourselves in the refuge of the God of Israel. And when we do that, we find favor. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 75, I'm sorry, Psalm 57, verse 1. I have dyslexia, so I'm saying Naomi the wrong way sometimes. 
Psalm 57, verse 1. It's, she says, it says this in that chapter. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in thee my soul takes refuge. And I think that David, when he wrote this, he was thinking about his, gr- his great-grandmother, Ruth. Because we know that Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son. His name is Obed. Obed has a son, and that is, his name is what? Jesse, which is David's father. And I think, I think it was told to David the story of his great-grandmother. All of us have heard stories about our great-grandparents or our grandparents. And we hear this, David hears the story how she came to Bethlehem, Judah, to find herself the refuge under God's wings. And he writes these words. He says, In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge. Notice here the word for. Be merciful to me, for in thee my soul takes refuge. Why should God show mercy to Ruth? Because she sought refuge under his wings. She has counted his, her, his protection better than others, and she has set her heart on God for hope and joy. And you know, I'm going to close with this, that when, when Ruth decided to walk by faith, follow Naomi into a land that she had no idea where she was going, she was going to be a great blessing in another man's life. And you know, this is how it works, that if you and I, like Boaz, a man or a father or a husband, learns how to receive grace in his life, we need to learn how to receive grace. We are people that, by default, are guilty. I mean, maybe we have not done anything bad recently, but we carry around guilt. Even if you and I have not done anything that guilt still is resident in our life because of Adam. Adam's guilt has been passed on from generation to generation. And naturally, when we're not in fellowship with the grace of God, we feel guilty. We feel we're down on ourselves. We compare ourselves with other people. In the bulletin this week, I put in, and I don't know how many of you read what we put in the bulletin, but every week we put in a devotional, either um, something you know that really is touching, but this week I put something in there that I read about how some dads feel that when Father's Day comes, they just analyze themselves, and they look at themselves like how bad they are, how much they have not met up to the cause of being a father, and they become very uncomfortable, and read that over, it's really, it's very good. But when a man like Boaz, and when you and I like Boaz, receive grace in our life, and we let it saturate us, we get baptized in grace, then God begins to bring things and to bring people into our lives that later on become an amazing part of God's redemptive plan. You and I in this church are part of God's redemptive plan for this area. We are. We are part, you are part of it. You may say, well, you know, my life, my family, everything's upside down. It's crazy. You know, I just can't keep up with my life. Uh, you don't know what's happening in my personal life. You don't know what happened or what I've done. God doesn't care about that. Why? Because God dealt with it 2,000 years ago. A lot of times we are dealing with things with God that God has already dealt with. God's like, why do we keep bringing that up to you? Why do, God says, why do you keep bringing that up to me? Because I dealt with that 2,000 years ago. It's almost offensive for us to wallow and mourn in guilt and, our, and shame and when we can just say, you know what? I am Boaz, God saturated, God's man saturated in grace. 
And you know what? God wants to bless me. And I just want us to think that today as a dad or whoever we are today in this room. Maybe we have had dads that are not really great people. Really, they could be actually the worst example of what a father should be. But you know something? We look at our fathers, I mean, we look at our heavenly father who is our great father, and that is where we derive our, our, our image of a father from. For example, you know, many of us as we grow up kind of become like our dads a little bit, don't we? Have you ever done something or said something and then you realize, my gosh, that was my dad talking. How many have ever done that? Nobody here. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> All right, but you know something? Our Father is just the awesome example of what it means to be faithful and never to leave us or forsake us. And the grace man becomes a refuge for people, for the work of God, and then becomes a part of God's redemptive plan for this area, for your family, for your extended family, and for, and for everybody that you meet. And I just want to encourage us today as dads, though I don't have any kids, I have a lot of spiritual children. I was thinking this morning, I'm not a dad yet, but I have a lot of spiritual kids around the world. And um, I'm really proud of that. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you that we, like Boaz, may not be really perfect people, but we can provide an environment, as Boaz did, of just the God-saturated grace in our home. And Lord, we are not naturally able to do that, but if we receive grace in our life and just begin to be persuaded that God is for us, that God loves us, and not to beat ourselves up as dads, but just to look at the great father who never fails, then we can provide an environment like Boaz did with his workers, with his family, and then God adds people to us. God brings people into our lives. We become God's part of God's redemptive plan. And Lord, we just want to ask today for all of our dads, Lord, we just know that they are really on the front lines of spiritual warfare in every family. And all too often we forget to build up our dads and encourage them because we know, we know them so often after the flesh. We know their mistakes. We know their weaknesses, their limitations. We want to pray for our dads in our church, Lord. Fathers across the nation today, Lord, that men and fathers would really get to know the heart of the Father and to grow in who they are in Christ. And we just thank you, Lord, for the example of Boaz, who really stands out to us today as a grace man. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen.